And as you are, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles again to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25. You know, last week we began this particular sermon series, a four-week series, and uh, we focused primarily about the purpose of marriage. And in the beginning of the service, what I did was I, I suggested that there are many people who view marriage today as a mystery, as a mystery. And the reason we view it as a mystery is because marriage had ultimately promised us so much, but yet has seemed to deliver and failed to deliver what it had promised. And I suggested to you last week that the reason for that, the reason that many people believe that it has failed, is because we do not truly understand the primary purpose of marriage. Many people believe that the primary purpose of marriage is companionship. Others believe it's sexual fulfillment and satisfaction. Others believe it's childbearing. So others believe the primary purpose of marriage is love. And yet others believe that its primary purpose is happiness. And what I would suggest is that for many of us, when we first got married, one of these purposes were the primary purposes, uh, maybe even a combination of those fives. But that's how we entered into the marriage. And that's why some people view marriage once again as a mystery, because they believe that it has let them down, has not fulfilled the purposes in which it was created. But as we begin to study the scriptures last week, we saw in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 in Paul's writing that God has a completely different primary purpose for marriage. And his primary purpose is not any of the five in which I've already read and which most of us adopt as the primary purpose for our marriages. Instead, we saw that God's primary purpose of his marriage is for a husband and wife and to enter in to an unbreakable, grace-saturated relationship, covenant relationship, that would picture Christ's covenant relationship with His church. So our job as husbands and wives is to demonstrate and to illustrate what it's like to be in a covenant relationship, to model Christ's relationship with the church, those who He has called and redeemed and saved. So that's the purpose of marriage. And where we ended last week was with this, with a challenge. And what I said is because God is God and we are not, Because God has created marriage for us, and because He has designed it, then our job, your and my job, is to jettison what we believe the primary purposes of marriage are, and to repent of that, throw those off, and then humbly receive by faith the primary purpose of God for marriage, right? And unless we do that, folks, our marriages have no hope of becoming all that God had ultimately intended them to be. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to turn from the purpose of marriage to the problem of marriage. Now, I know that very few of you ever have problems in your marriage and that this probably won't apply to you this morning. Um, Just joking. You know, uh, every marriage, and you might not know, every marriage has problems. You understand that, right? Uh, every marriage has problems. The problem is, is that we love disguising them and being so secretive of them that we really don't know that everybody else is having just as many, if not more, problems than we are. We love to be able to disguise that. Now, when it comes to problems in the marriage, we love to categorize those problems. Uh, when somebody comes and say, well, we're having some marriage problems, but really what we're doing is the marriage problems are caused by our financial problems. And, uh, or we're having marriage problems because we are having communication problems. Or uh, we're having problems because we're having intimacy problems. And so we like to categorize these things. But the truth of the matter is when you boil all of those those things down, there really is only one problem in marriage. That is the sin problem. 
we have trouble and struggle and strive and struggle within that marriage because of sin. When you got married, it was two sinners saying, I do. So you have two sinners that are married, and that sin in each one of them is the cause of each and every one of our problems. So what I want to do this morning is this. I want to go back to the book of Genesis in chapter 2, as we read just a couple minutes ago. And what I want to do is I want to take a look at this problem. I want to take a look at this problem, and then after taking a look at the problem, I, I want to suggest from the Scriptures at the same time a solution. Isn't that nice? Don't you hate when people just bring up all the problems, but there's no solution? I thank God that not only do they demonstrate the problem, but it gives us the ultimate solution for our problem as well. And so what we find this morning is we're going to begin here with the problem, but what I want to do is, first of all, is take you and show you how things were before how things were before this sin problem ultimately occurred. Look, if you will, in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 25. And the Bible says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, my question for you, and not trying to be um, uh, uncouth or anything or this morning, my question for you is, why is it that two people are naked and there is no shame between them? That they are unshamed. In other words, uh, let me ask you this. There was a reason why you came dressed this morning, right? When you got out of the shower, you just didn't say, hey, this will work and come to the house of God. Had you done that, I imagine as you were being greeted, uh, you would feel a sense of shame, right? Um, and, And part of that is because all of us have kind of had that dream where you show up to school or work in your underwear, Right? Have you not had that dream? Really? I thought everybody had that dream. Okay. Bad dream. Bad. Okay. And the reason is you feel ashamed. Now, if you were to come to the house of God this morning, and you may not have felt ashamed originally, but by the time you left here, we would have shamed you. Okay. So one way or another, you would feel a sense of shame. But yet here's Adam and Eve in the very beginning. Uh, they are naked. They are together, but they feel absolutely no shame uh, whatsoever. So the question is why? Well, I think that there are two possibilities here. I think one is, is because they were physically perfect. They were just all that. They were the perfect tens. And there's certainly some biblical evidence of that, is there not? We understand that when God got done creating most of creation, He said it was good. And then when He got done creating man, He said uh, the creation was very good. He created man, a perfect, all-knowing, glorious, good God, handcrafted the perfect man. Ladies, that was your last chance. That was it, all right? And, and, then, and then he took the rib from that perfect man, and then he himself with his own hands fashioned a perfect woman. She was perfect in every way. Even physically, she was absolutely 100% perfect. So what we would suggest is the reason there was no shame is because there was no need for any shame. There was no feeling of shame inside of her because... What's she going to worry about, right? No marks or whatever. I'm not going to go there. But anyway, it's, she just feels no shame. And she feels no shame not only because it's not self-imposed, but because it's not being imposed on each other. Because they're perfect, the other spouse is not looking at them going, yeah, well, uh, you might want to jog a little, okay, or whatever. There's no shame there being placed on the other individual. This is how marriage was. What I want you to understand is when God created marriage, and here it was in its infancy, uh, marriage was simply a safe place. Marriage was a safe place. It was void of any threat of condemnation and shame. 
either by themselves or by those who they're married to condemning them and shaming them. It was completely devoid of any of that. It was a safe place. And so what we see here is that's how it was before the problem. But then something happened and changed all that. So what was it that happened? Well, we see in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16, God gave Adam a command. Now, this is before Eve was even on the scene. God gave him this command uh, found in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16. And the Lord God, Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely, what church? You shall surely die. Okay? So you shall surely die. And so what we find is she's not on the scene at this time. So we know that it's his responsibility as a spiritual leader, right, to lead his family, to lead his wife, so that she would have a clear understanding of what it is that God requires of her. Guys, did you know that's part of our responsibility, huge part? And so this is his responsibility. And we find out that he was true in that. Because when Eve in chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, when the serpent comes and begins to tempt Eve, we find out that Eve knew very clearly about, well, maybe not clearly, but knew about this command. Uh, the Bible says here that he comes uh, to the woman and he says, Did God actually say to you shall, that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman, verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, God never said that you couldn't touch it. He just said you couldn't eat it. So we don't know if this is confusion between her and her spouse and passing it down or just her misspeaking or whatever it is. I don't know what it is here, what's going on. But she does know the principle. You eat of the tree, you're ultimately going to die. But her knowledge and understanding of that was not enough to be able to keep her from sinning. What we find there in chapter 3, look at verse 6 with me and follow along. He says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She, she, she took of its fruit, and she ate, and she also gave some, of her hus- some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were ashamed, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. All of a sudden, they feel this overwhelming need to cover up. Why? Because for the first time, they were ashamed. They were ashamed. Now, the question is, why were they ashamed? Well, we know that sin has something to do with this. But what effect of sin caused this shame? Was it because their bodies all instantaneously went to pot? Right? I mean, because we, we do know that the Bible says that you shall surely die. God's grace allowed them not to die immediately. They died spiritually, but the physical death would take a long period of time. So it wasn't like instantaneously they just went from wow to ooh. All right. That's not what happens here. Okay? So it's not because of, uh, of the... They're not ashamed because their physical bodies have been marred, but rather they are ashamed. Why? Because the very first time, uh, their eyes are open. Do you see that in the text? Their eyes are open, which means for the first time, they identify that they are sinners because they've sinned. In other words, what's happened is they realize they've done what they were commanded not to do. Their conscience has convicted them, and because their conscience has convicted them, come the emotions of what? Guilt and shame. They are racked with guilt and shame. And because of that, uh, what do they want to do? They want to cover up. They want to hide themselves. And so the Bible says that immediately, because of their sins, they cover themselves up, they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves, uh, and they, and, and they made, uh, themselves loincloths. So we see basically what's going on here is they do not like the position in which they are ultimately in. 
They're in a position where they feel vulnerable. Now marriage and the marriage relationship has ultimately changed. Things are not what they used to be. The marriage is no longer a safe haven because now they are all all vulnerable to be shamed by the person who they are ultimately with. Now, what I want you to understand is this, is not only were they shamed, but did you notice that they also covered up? And what I would say is, and we don't usually see this, is this is really the second sin. The first was taking of the tree. The second of them was the sin of hypocrisy. Because the reason that they're trying to cover up is because they're trying to appear and disguise who they really are. In essence, what they're trying to do is to say, hey, I'm not as bad as I really am. I'm actually better than I am. So that's why there's a sin of hypocrisy. Let me cover up so that I can conceal my sin so I don't have to worry of anybody else condemning me or shaming me in my sin. So that's ultimately what happens. Now, what was the change that was brought about? Well, first, there was a vertical change in the relationship with God. Look at verse 8, if you will. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I think this is one of the saddest verses in the first three chapters of the Word of God because of the radical change and the shift that has occurred. What we find in the first two chapters is that we found Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day with God. Each day they would just walk and they would talk and they would fellowship and speak to God face to face. And what an amazing, beautiful, awesome thing. And they just trusted him and they just depended fully and completely on God. That's what God had desired. Every day they just submitted to him and said, man, I'm going to allow you just to provide anything that you give me. And we're just going to sit back and rest in whatever it is that you find good for us. We're not going to take what you say is bad. We're just going to take what you say is good. And we're going to trust you fully and completely. But at this particular point, when they eat that fruit, when they take of that tree, what they do is they declare before God their own independence. What they declare is, is, hey, God, no longer are you the one that's going to dictate to us what is right and what is wrong. Now we have the knowledge of good and evil. Now we will determine for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. And in order to do that, what they had to do is they had to usurp their own authority above God. They had to take God, remove him from the throne of their heart. Now they said, God will no longer be preeminent. Now we are preeminent. Now I am preeminent. Eve said, now it's about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I will. It's about what I desire instead of what God desires. And Adam said the same exact thing. And so here's the deal. Listen, what I want you to understand. You cannot be in a relationship with God while you're trying to play God. It's not going to work. There's only room for one God. So there's a radical change. This, this particular relationship is completely fractured. It is completely messed up beyond recognition from what it was originally intended to be. So what changed? The vertical relationship with God changed. Secondly, their horizontal relationship with each other changed. All of a sudden, do you remember that safe marriage? That safe marriage where there was no fear of condemnation, there was no fear of shame. Guess what has happened now longer that no longer is that marriage relationship safe. The spouse can no longer be trusted. They were no longer free from the environment of ridicule, judgment, and criticism. Now both would seek their own good over the other. And what each of them were doing is this, each of every every one of them were aware of their fallenness. Their conscience was condemning them and each one of them began to live in shame. 
They began to live in shame, both people, because both were sinners. But you know what they ultimately did? They wanted to cover up that sin, cover up that sin to, to ultimately suggest that I'm not nearly as bad as I want to be. Why would they want to cover it up? Because they don't want to hear it from the spouse. If they can cover it up and cover up that sin and conceal that sin, then they don't have anything to say about themselves. But you know what they ultimately do? And this is what sin will do. Sin, in order for us to escape the feeling of shame, will in turn begin to shame other people. For Adam to feel good about himself and to escape the shame that he felt within and to keep from her shaming him, he took the initiative and he would take the initiative to begin to shame his spouse, to begin critical of her, become judgmental of her, to begin to see all of her faults and see where she's falling short. And so in order to make him feel good, in order to prop himself up, what does he do? He pushes her down, pushes her face right in the mud, makes sure that he's very careful to bring out all of her faults And just push her down. And now it's no longer safe. Because what ultimately happens as soon as he does that, she doesn't like the feeling of shame either. So in turn, she she comes back right at him. And what does she do? She pushes him right back down. And she reminds him of all his failures. She reminds him of all his faults. And she does the same thing to be able to get the upper hand to push him down in order for her to be able to rise back up. And now this continues on and on and on. And guess what? With this continual pushing down and this continual self-centeredness and selfishness with two sinners coming together, fighting for supremacy inside of the marriage to try to look better and to try to conceal their own sin for the sake of concealing sin. Guess what? This marriage is not going to work. These two sinners, they're not going to be able to come together and they're not going to be able to stay together. You can't keep living that way. So the question is, that's the problem, but when then ultimately is the solution? Is there a solution for this? Well, let me suggest two things. How, how, first of all, how would these relationships continue? Sin has destroyed it between man and God. Sin has destroyed it between the husband and wife. And so what do you do? Well, first of all, you can demand perfection. You know, that's what God could have easily done. God could have made a mandate. He could have come to Adam and Eve, and this is what he could have said. All right, you messed up, but I'm going to give you one more try. You goofed up. I warned you not to do what I told you to do, and you failed. You should feel ashamed. You should feel condemned. But I'm going to give you one more chance. If I give you one more chance, and, 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 and but here's the deal. Here's my promise. You fail and you mess up, that's it for us. You've crossed the line. The line is one more time. If you're not completely perfect, then this relationship is over. Well, you know what? If God had done that, there would be no relationship between God and man. Because what had happened is once they fell, all of creation fell. And what happened is they were saturated in sin at that particular point. They may be able to go a second. They may be able to go a minute without sinning. But sooner or later, guess what they're going to do? They're going to sin. And God then is going to do what? He's going to turn to them and say, you sinned. Now I'm going to make you feel condemned and I'm going to make you feel shame inside of your heart. That was the deal. See that? That's one way. And fortunately, that's not the choice that God made. God did not make the choice to demand perfection. Instead, he made a second choice. Here's the second option. Dispense grace. They fell. They sinned. If any... If you believe otherwise, they were completely and utterly deserving of a vengeful, wrathful God to destroy them on the spot and to send them into an eternal hell. 
That's what they deserve. They were created for a purpose, to glorify God. Instead, they corrupted that whole thing and glorified themselves, to usurp themselves above a God to bring glory to themselves. And so God, at that very point, would, have, would He not have been just, church, to cast them into a fiery hell at that point? He would have been just. He would have been just to be able to do so. He was the Creator. They were the creation. And they rebelled. But it's not what He does. Did you notice what He did instead in chapter 3, in verse 21? In chapter 3, in verse 21, the Bible said He extended grace. How? And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins... And he clothed them. Now, the confusion comes is this. You say, wait a minute, God clothed them? I thought the whole trying to clothe yourself thing was wrong. Isn't that what Adam and Eve tried to do previously? Didn't Adam and Eve, when they found out they were sinful, did they not try to clothe themselves, try to cover up? They felt this shame and knew that they needed to be covered up. So they took the vines and, and all these things and they began to you know, build themselves little outfits to be able to cover up their nakedness. And now, Brother Mike, you said that that was the sin of hypocrisy. You said it was a sin of hypocrisy. Is God now aiding them in their sin of hypocrisy? Is He allowing them to be hypocrites? Are they, is He allowing them to deny who they are? No. God clothes them for a completely different purpose than why Adam and Eve sought to be clothed. Completely two different purposes. Here's the first reason. First of all, to show they were no longer what they ought to be. See, when Adam and Eve covered themselves, what they ultimately tried to do here is they tried to conceal the fact that they were not what they should be. When God offered them to clothe them, God was not trying to help them to conceal. God was trying to lead them to confess their sinfulness. If they would take those things, when they took all of those things and tried to clothe themselves, what they were saying is this, is they were saying, hey, listen, I'm not nearly as bad. I'm putting this on because I'm not nearly as bad. But when God takes these animal skins and he brings it and he presents it and he says, here's how I'll clothe you, you receive it. When they receive it, they're not trying to conceal it. They are confessing by receiving his clothing that I need to be clothed because I am not who I used to be. Do you see the difference? One is to conceal and the other one rather is for them to confess. There's a second reason, and that is to show that he would one day make them what they should be. One day he would make them what they should be. And that was the picture of how he came about with those animal skins. What he did was this. In order to clothe them, it came at the ultimate expense of that animal. He killed that animal and then gave them a fitting, more superior clothing than those vines, than those leaves. But in order for them to have that superior clothing, to truly be clothed, to truly be covered, and their shame to be covered, it had to come at the ultimate expense of that animal. The life had to be taken. Now, it's not very hard if you've been in church long, if you've ever been saved. You understand that that is a foreshadow of what was to come. Soon, another, uh, uh, someone would come, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is called the Lamb of God, who was slain to take away the, the, the sins of the world, and He would be and he would be, his life would be sacrificed. He would pay the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I would be covered. Not in self-righteousness, but in God's righteousness, in Christ's righteousness. So when we are covered by the shedding of that blood and being covered, then what happens is this, even though that human continues 
to, to sin throughout his lifetime, what happens now is they have been once and for all covered with the righteousness of Christ. And so now when God sees them, even in their sin, he sees the righteousness and perfection of his son. And now he can continue the relationship with them. The relationship is now made possible. It's possible now. It's possible because God chose to dispense grace. That's why it was possible. If he demanded perfection, none of us would be here. The relationship between us and God would be absolutely, completely, and fully impossible. But yet this is the choice that every person has to make today in their lifetime. This is the choice. Every person in this place is very aware that they have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They know that they have broken it because your own conscience has convicted you when you have done what is wrong that you know to be right. God in His merciful grace placed on your heart as a Gentile the very Word of God, the very law of God without you even reading some of the Scriptures. He had placed that on you. And then when you did what you knew what was wrong, you were convicted and shame. Your conscience was was pierced and in shame and guilt came upon you. And so as that sinful person, we know that we have to cover up. We've got to cover up that shame. Not only our own self-imposed shame to feel better about ourselves, but also the shame that all the people outside of us are going to place on us. So what do we do? We cover up. We try everything we can to conceal the fact that we are wretched and we are lost and we are sinful and we are fallen. So what do we do? Good works. We go and we work in the community. We do good things for people. We try to be the best wife and the best husband and the best student and the best everything that we can. And what we're doing is these are just all the different leaves. We just try to cover ourselves up to be able to escape the shame of our own sin, to be able to conceal the sin and try to convince God and everybody else that we're not nearly as bad as we ultimately are. The problem with that is it doesn't work. Trying to conceal your unrighteousness with deeds and acts of unrighteousness make absolutely no sense. It would be very much like you falling into a pool of excrement and then going and trying to wash it off and become clean by bathing in excrement. That's what it would be like. And that's what it's like when sinful people who are lost try to convince God that they are good by being a good person. And God sits there and says, all of those good deeds are completely saturated with sin because you're not doing it for my glory. You're doing it for yours. You're not doing it to make me look good. You're doing it for you to look good. You're doing it to make yourself look good. You're denying who you are. And so this is the decision that each and every one of us have to make. That's the first decision. Go ahead and try to clothe myself. Or we come to the decision where we sit there and we say, God, I am so sinful. I am so lost. I'm so undeserving to you. God, I have failed. I, I, have, I have broken your law and I am worthy. I need to be clothed. But God, I know that I can't, clothe my, I can't clothe my unrighteousness with my unrighteousness. There's no good in me. God, I need your goodness to cover me. Will you cover me? And God says, I will. And the way I'm going to cover you is I'm going to send my only son and I'm going to sacrifice him so that you now, by faith, will be covered with the righteousness 
of my son. So you have a choice. Either continue to be right before God by covering up your sin, by trying to be a good person, or admitting that you're not a good person in your complete need of God to clothe you through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I know some of you are sitting here and you're saying, now, Brother Mike, we came for marriage and I want to talk about marriage. What does this have to do with marriage? It has everything to do with marriage. Everything. Because just as, as, as being in a relationship with a perfect God as a sinful person is impossible, unless it is based on grace, the same exact truth is for two sinful people or how, who are trying to dwell together. He said, well, how in the world is that? Well, it's very simple because, first of all, you have two choices of how you're going to make this relationship work. And I would suggest that The first one is what most of us are functioning in. Here's your choices. You can demand perfection from your spouse while living in an unsafe place where both of you critically judge, condemn, and shame each other. You know, there's a reason why sometimes when I walk in from work from doing the ministry of God. That I walk in and I'm a jerk and critical of my wife. Sometimes it's not completely overt, but it's certain enough to show the message. When I walk in and I smile and I say, man, what happened here? It looks like a storm hit. Oh, it's, it's so funny because I said it with a smile. And at that particular moment, what has just happened to my wife is I've just bludgeoned my wife. I've just shamed her. And then when I sit there and say, oh, we're having this again. <laughs> Great. Honey, did you realize that you left the van doors open again in the garage? Could you just... Shut the van door. All right. Honey, there's marks on the wall, hand marks on the wall. Yes, honey, we have three children. Yes, I know. But is it possible for them just not to touch anything? (laughs) And see, inside me, in the depth of my sin, what I'm really ultimately doing is I'm trying my very best to try to expose her fault. But it's really not her sin that I'm exposing. It's my own. I complain and badger and criticize my wife simply because I'm a miserable wretch inside, full of sin. I'm ashamed of what I do. And it's much easier for me than to repent and allow God to cover me, for me to cover myself and just to bludgeon my wife. Option number one. And I'll tell you, this this way doesn't work. It just simply just doesn't work. I've seen it, and people will sit there and say, man, I've had enough. And do you understand when you say you have enough, what you're saying is you need perfection? No, I'm not. I'm not asking for perfection. I'm just asking that they stop doing that. You mean permanently? Yes, that's perfection. No, it's not perfection. Yeah, it's Perfection. Stop doing that. 
All right, that's it. I'll give you one more chance. And, and, and that how we do oftentimes too is, listen, I, I've told you once, now guess what's going to happen? Now it's your five minutes to be shamed. Sit back and enjoy it and take it. Here it goes. And there's a marriage. But there's a second option. Secondly, you can dispense grace while living in a safe place where both of you can rest knowing that you live in the security of an unbreakable, grace-saturated relationship where there is no threat of shame and condemnation. You can choose grace. Here's the option for me. The van doors are open again for the 364th time. We have fought. I've apologized 365 times. She has been stressed out. She's been bludgeoned and beat up. I come home again, and I sit there and go, A, I demand perfection. She did not cease from doing what she is doing. She has problems. Or I can sit there and go, my wife didn't open the door again. Didn't close the doors again. What is it that's in me that is so sinful that makes me want to destroy my marriage because of Van Doors? God, it's not showing the fault of my wife. It's showing my fault. God, this exposes my very sin, my complaint against my wife. God, I need you to clothe me. And then I have a choice. Shut it, meaning my mouth, or shut them, the doors. And no longer place my wife in that position where she's going to be shamed again. And if every day for the rest of our life those doors are open, I shut it and I shut them. That's grace. That's grace. Now, what I want you to understand, and let me bring you this back in closing. Let me bring you back to this very quickly. This is what God had intended. Go back to verse chapter 2 and verse 24. The Bible says there, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Remember what we talked about that? That's God's design for marriage. In God's design for marriage, what he wanted is he was as, as, a, as a young man would leave his father and mother, cling to his bride, and they would become one flesh through the honeymoon period there, the honeymoon night, through, through coming together, bonding to each other in a flesh, in, in, uh, as one flesh. Then what would ultimately happen? That was going to picture Jesus Christ leaving his heavenly father, coming to this earth, embracing, clinging, holding fast to his what? To his bride and doing what? Through his ultimate sacrifice, making them one flesh, one spirit. Yes? He gives this, then he says in verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Here's the deal. The reason they weren't ashamed is there was nothing to be ashamed about. They were to come into a covenant relationship that was based on what? Perfection? No, based on grace. God, they had not fallen. So at the first, they didn't have to practice it. They didn't have to put it into action. Why? Because there was nothing for them to extend grace for. But God knew that they would fall. So before, right before they even came together in that sense, he told them, hey, you're going to need this. You're going to fall. And I want your marriage to be based not on demanding perfection, but rather in dispensing grace. And I'm going to show you how that looks by sending my only son to die 
And for you to understand the only way I can have a relationship is for 50,000 times a day for me to extend grace and not to see your sin, but to see the righteousness of my son. Now, I think this is the question that's going to come up. I think the question is, is there ever a time to point out the faults of my spouse in order to help them become people God wants them to be? You know, we do have a job. And my job is to fix my wife. She's fallen. I'm not nearly as fallen. She needs my help, obviously. I will just remind you that it was man who needed help. That's why God gave him a mate. Called a helper. And so is there ever a time? Well, let me say this. Yes, I think there's a time. But let me add this. However, this can only happen effectively when your spouse knows that they are living in the safety of an unbreakable, grace-saturated relationship. That he or she knows that you are not pushing them down to build yourself up. That you're drawing attention to sin is, is out of a selfless love for their well-being. Here's the deal. The reason why most of the time me trying to point out the faults and my wife doesn't work, it's because she knows how self-centered I am, and she knows that I'm just trying to push her down to make myself feel better. I'm doing it from self-centeredness. I'm I'm the center of the universe. It doesn't work. What we have to do, church, and what I'm calling, and what I believe the Scripture is calling you to do today is this. It's through the power and the grace and the ability of God is to return your marriage into a safe place. Not by being perfect, but by extending grace. If I come to my wife and our marriage is a safe place and she knows that I'm not critical of her, she knows that when she falls, I'm not going to be the first one that comes up behind her and shames her and reminds her of everywhere that she's fallen short. If I sit there and allow God to be able to deal with my wife, there is a time that I will be able to come to my wife after developing through the power of God that safe haven, that place where she's not afraid that I'm going to be attacking her out of selflessness, that I can come to her and go, Honey, there's something I'd love to be able to talk to you about. It's been in my heart, and I've seen it a couple times in your life, and I only know it so well because I am the chief of sinners. And I've dealt with it and still dealing with it in my life. But I know that as a husband, one of my, one of, one of my God-given pursuits is to, is to help you just like your job is to help me to become more like Jesus. And honey, I, I don't come to point this out to you, but just to be able to help you that there's something here that just doesn't look like Christ. Can we pray together? Can we walk through this? Can we help you through this? And here's the deal. Depending on how my wife responds is depending on how firmly we have solidified and I have solidified that we live in a safe environment in our marriage. If she bucks up and jumps and goes the other way, there's a very good chance she does not trust me. But if she sits back and she says at that particular point, if she sits there and says, you're right. Thank you. This is an area of my life in which I've been wrong. I'm wrong. Would you pray for me? Would you help me? Thank you for loving me. I think that's the picture. I think that's where God ultimately wants us to be. Now, here's what's going to happen. I guarantee that most of you in here are saying, impossible. Impossible. You don't know who I'm married to. 
Yeah, but you don't know who Larissa's married to. And apparently you don't know who you are. You're a chief of sinners. The only reason you would say that is because you are not overwhelmed by your own sin. You're underwhelmed by your own sin. And so, in a part, you're right. If you think that I'm sitting there going, okay, guys, go home and create a nice environment for yourself. Get a padded room somewhere with padded furniture, with happy music, and make it blue or, or not blue, that would make you sad. Make it a nice color that makes you chipper. That would be fantastic. And then, well, no, this is the only way this is going to work. The only way it's going to work is for you and I to begin by repenting. Can we have anybody in here, starting with our men, can we have anybody in here that would sit there and say, I have been critical of my wife. I have been demanding perfection of my wife. And I am wrong. Because it does not demonstrate her sinfulness. It demonstrates very clearly my sinfulness because I'm trying to push her down and make myself look better. That's what you're doing, sir. I don't care how you package it. I don't care how you try to hide it. That's what you're doing. Man, can we have a time right now? And listen, this church is full of pride. Beginning with me, full of pride. You say, how do you know? When I talk with people about their marriage, why didn't you ever say anything? Well, I don't want anybody to think we're having problems. Why didn't you come down and pray at the altar? Well, I didn't want anyone to think and look at me. You just talked about marriage. I don't want them to think that I'm having marriage problems. Pride, man. Hypocrisy. You're covering your sin. There's no hope unless you humble yourself. God gives grace to the humble, but he rejects the proud. So the first part is men, can we repent? Ladies, can you follow that and say, I have sinned as well. Here I am. I'm critical of my husband. I'm demanding perfection, not grace. The second thing we do is this, is we take what God sends to us and we bend it outwards to our spouse. The only way to do this is for you yourself to taste it of His grace. To be moved by it. To be shaken by it. Then you can take it. Then you can push it outward. But if you've never tasted of His grace, it's impossible for you to be able to do. It's impossible for you to be able to do. But that is what God has called for you and I. So can we start by dependence? Here's the deal. Repentance and then dependence. We come and we say, God, I am so sorry for what I've did. I know that this is wrong. But then we say, I can't do this alone. I've tried. I've tried not to be critical this way. But God, it just keeps coming out of my mouth. God, I need you by the power of your Holy Spirit to help me to die to self and live by your grace. When I experience your grace, let me extend that grace to my spouse. Full dependence and faith in God. Do you see that? Do you see that? Well, then let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. We honor you. We thank you for this morning. God, this altar is open. I pray right now that people would already begin to respond to you. God, could we have men in this place, all over this place, lead and say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm a chief of sinners. Right now, I'm dedicating my life. Right now, that our home would be a place that is safe for my wife. She would feel secure there. Not of condemnation, not of shame. But God, instead... Right now, and then wives would follow in that same thing. God, give us the power, give us the strength, give us the grace. Let us be racked and overwhelmed by your grace you extend to us. Help us now to, to send it out and to push it off to our wives. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you-